Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, I'm uh, Amy. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, it is my privilege to bring you the message today. Um, it's on tithing and giving and generosity and what we do with our money. So this is a very exciting and important and sometimes uncomfortable conversation. So I was curious if there were like any studies about um, the giving habits of Christians, if there were I'm, any studies. So I went looking And there may be more recent, but the one that I found that was the most thorough was from 1997. So I was like, oh, that's pretty recent. And then I realized it's like 25 years ago. So not as recent as I thought. But I think what the studies show, I think, is the same, if not more pronounced. And so this was an article in Christianity Today called The Anatomy of a Giver. And so the studies that the author looked at said American Christians, so it is from America, but I think we can uh, see the parallels in Canada, reveal that they believe in hard work and decency more than they believe in distinctive Christian behavior. They support evangelism only when it is done by someone they are absolutely sure won't embarrass them. They give generously, but not sacrificially. And as they have gotten wealthier, they have been able to live better but they give about the same proportionately. Their affluence is indistinguishable from their neighbors. They think charity begins at home. They are less and less eager to send money overseas for a missionary cause that seems distant and never-ending. Above all, good Americans don't talk about money. Their money is their own to do what they like with it. It is a private matter, and they don't want it talked about too much in church. So when it comes to giving away our money, we have the American Code of Silence and Privatization. And when I read that, it was a little like, oh, yep, I would say that those trends probably still continue today. And so we're going to be talking about money. And this can be an awkward topic. So take a moment right now and just check in with yourself. How are you feeling about this topic? Are you okay with it? Are you feeling a little anxious? Maybe you're a little annoyed that I'm gonna be talking about it. Maybe you're skeptical of what's her angle. Or maybe you're like, yeah, this needs to be talked about. Let's get at it. But talking about money in church can, can sometimes be a weird thing. And I think there's many factors. I think some have experienced uh, le- Christian leaders being uh, using manipulative tactics around money, of, of um, demanding almost abusive tactics to get money, to solicit donations. And that is grievous and wrong. And I'm so sorry if that is something that you've experienced. And then I realized as I was preparing that I maybe was a little, I wanted to shy away from this. Because I didn't want people to potentially think that I was preaching on this topic so that our donations to the church would go up. 
And I was like, oh, I don't know how to approach this. And then even in our bulletin today, you'll see, or maybe you didn't notice this, but normally when we do our monthly kind of financial giving update, it's right in the bulletin, but our admin assistant had the bulletin ready before that was ready. And so she just put it in as an insert. So it's highlighted and bigger. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. And then I had that moment, I think it was last night or something where all of a sudden I was like, oh goodness, now they're going to think even more that I'm like trying to just like rate, like, man, our financial situation's looking a little dicey. I better preach on tithing to get those money in. And then I was like, you know what? No, actually, because that's not the spirit that I'm coming in. I'm not coming from a point of we need to do something about this for the sake of our financial situation. I'm coming at it from, this is an important topic. This is something that Jesus and the New Testament actually talks a lot about. And we need to talk about this. Money, how we give, what we're doing. Because how and why we give either aligns us with Jesus and what he's called us to, or it maybe shows us places that we're holding on to things that we shouldn't. And any time that in your mind you think a, a pastor should not be talking about this, or any time that a pastor feels I shouldn't be talking about this, is a place to pause and ask, why do I feel like this topic is off limits? And that might be a place for, for you to talk with Jesus about what's going on here. So, I realize that as we go into talking about tithing, that we probably have people with a, a various degrees of understanding about what it is. So when we talk about tithing now, what it is, is just the regular giving to the church body. And often in conversations, 10% is the, of your income is the suggested, or in some uh, different organization, church organization, is like the hard line percentage that you should give. But where did this come from? I mean, outside the church, we don't hear people talk about tithing. We hear them talk about giving and donations. But I think it's important as we look at what tithing was what it is now, and what Jesus is inviting us into, that it's important we know where it comes from. And so tithing, the idea of tithing is found in the Old Testament. We see right off the bat in Genesis 4, it says, Abel, which is Adam and Eve's, one of Adam and Eve's son, brought the best of the firstborn lambs. And then Cain, the other son, brought some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And I mean, there's a whole big story. There's like murder involved in that. But right there, the point I'm highlighting there is that they brought a gift of their crops and animals to God. The first time 10% shows up is in Genesis 14. And it's Abraham. He goes, he fights against all these kings. He gets back um, kind of his and more of his um, stuff that was stolen. And Melchizedek, which says was a, a priest of the Lord, blesses him. And Abraham gives him 10% uh, of all the goods he had recovered. So we see that 10% is now showing up. And then as we get into the law, so the law that uh, God handed down to Moses for... Um, 
the organization and how the, the nation of Israel, uh, what their law was to be, we see that tithing is addressed in several places. So in Deuteronomy 14, it talks about 20, uh, 14, 22 says, every year you shall certainly tithe a tenth of all the yield of your seed, which is produced by your field. And then it has some specifics, and it says, so that you may learn to fear and worship the Lord your God always. And then again, kind of talks about some more specifics about if you have too much, you can exchange it for money and bring it towards the priest. But then it says at the end of the chapter, at 28, it says, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce for that year and store it up within your city gates. The Levite, because he has no share of land or inheritance among you, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow who are in your city gates shall come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hand. So in there, there was 10% mention. It talks about the purpose of it. So you will learn to fear the Lord. It has give provisions for Levites, foreigners, the poor, and widows. And then it says, so that the Lord your God may bless you. And then we see in Deuteronomy 26, there's another tithe that is different than the first tithe, but this is talking about the first fruits. You shall take some of the first of all the produce of the land, which you harvested from the land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his presence. And then it says, you shall go to the priest and say to him, and it's this whole thing of declaring what God had done for the Israelites. That he had brought them out of Egypt, established them in the land um, flowing with milk and honey. And it says, and now that the, the person bringing it says to the priest, and now look, I have brought you the first of the produce of the ground, which you, O, o Lord, have given me. And you shall place it before the Lord your God and shall worship before the Lord your God. So in this, we see that this tithe is, a, is meant to be an acknowledgement of what God had done for them and in worship and give thanks. And then we see another place where tithing is, is discussed. And I mean, it is all over the place. So there, I didn't go through it all because we'd be here for quite a long time. But there's another place in 2 Chronicles 31. So 2 Chronicles, what's happening here now is, is um, the nation of Israel is split into two, and they've kind of gone through this section of, whatever, okay, continuation of kings, there we go, um, where one will, you know, did right in the eyes of the Lord, and then the next one didn't do right in the eyes of the Lord, and then they forget about God, and they come back, and it's this really... Um, sad history of the Israelites walking away from God, but a beautiful history in that God always calls them back. But we see, so there's a new king, Hezekiah, and he does right in the eyes of the Lord. And so he rips down idols and he reinstitutes a bunch of the things that the Israelites had forgotten about. And so one of the things he uh, reinstitutes is the tithes. And so we see this in 2 Chronicles 31 said he also, he, Hezekiah, no, Ezekiel, sorry, Ezekiel, he also 
told the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion that was due to the priests and Levites, so they might be free to devote themselves to the Lord. As soon as the king's order spread, the Israelites gave in abundance the first fruit of grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in tithe of everything abundantly. The sons of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of sacred gifts, which was consecrated to the Lord and placed in heaps. In the third month, at the end of the wheat harvest, they began to make the heaps, and they finished them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the rulers came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Zara, the high priest of the house of Zadonk, answered him, Since the people began to bring the offering into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat with plenty of leftover, for the Lord blessed his people, and this great quantity was leftover. So what we see here is as people began to give, once again in accordance to what God had um, in the law told them to, that the Lord blessed his people. I don't know if you ever wonder, when we do our announcements, we say tithes and offerings. Do you, it, maybe it was just me growing up, but I always wondered, what, like, where did this come from? What's the difference? Why is there tithes and offerings, and where, where does this come from? And actually, the idea of offerings comes from Le Leviticus 27, and that whole passage talks about gifts above the required tithes. Because the tithes that I just mentioned and elsewhere, they were not uh, recommendations. They were law. But if people wanted to dedicate, set apart land, animals, and, and people, they, above and beyond that, they could do it. And it seems to indicate that they could donate the money instead of the actual uh, items. So when we say tithes and offerings, I think that offering part is back to this, above and beyond the regular giving. So this 10% that, you know, is kind of talked about and, and uh, spoken about is, is found in the Old Testament. And what do all of these passages that I talked about in, you know, Genesis and, and Deuteronomy and Second Chronicles and Leviticus... Because they kind of all seem to talk about different types of tithes and different aspects. One was every three years. One was to the priests. Some were grain and animals. Some were to the Levites. But there were some things that they actually all have in common. One, it was the tithes were to be uh, the first of the things. Not leftovers if they had enough grain surplus, but the first which is significant. And another thing that, uh, as I looked through this, it, it was that ties, though they were law, though they were not a recommendation, the reason behind it was a couple of things. It was out of thanksgiving. It was out of remembering and honoring God above all else. It was about support of those in needs. And there seemed to be a blessing with the tithe. In 2 Chronicles, when they started giving again, it says the Lord blessed them. So what I find really fascinating is all of these things, all the reasons why there were ties in the law, 
it seems that the 10% number is what is the focus. That we end up having discussions around tithing, around, okay, is it, do we tithe on our income tax return? Do we give on our, our, off our gross income or net income? Can you give in general and that kind of counts or does it have to be only to the church and then there's like donations above and beyond it? That we get stuck on this like tithing is 10% of our money that sometimes the rest of it, the why of why they were doing that in the Old Testament is kind of lost. And I think we've missed the meaning. So some of you might be wondering, okay, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? What does Jesus say about tithing? Well, they don't actually talk about tithing really much at all. However, they talk about giving. Without any specific numbers, without any hard lines, but man, as I started to look through what Jesus and, and the New Testament uh, epistle writers talk about giving, it's actually more challenging than the Old Testament rigid guidelines. So we're just going to look at uh, briefly at a few passages around giving. So in Mark 12, Jesus is sitting in the temple uh, with his disciples, and he's just... just it says, he sat down opposite to the temple in, in chapter 12 and began watching. So I guess he was just chilling and people watching, which is enjoyable. But he sat down and began watching how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all contributed from their surplus. But she, from her poverty, put in all she had, all she had to live on. Man, and from this passage, it seems that Jesus is indicating that sacrificial giving is important. Not a tiny part of the surplus, but in sacrifice. Giving is also talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, and, and this passage is where it seems like Paul is maybe defending himself against people that are pushing back maybe about his legitimacy as an apostle or um, stirring of maybe some financial support he had. And so he's kind of uh, defending himself. But in, within this passage, he also talks about um, to support those who are preaching or doing the ministry. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talks about supporting those in need, doing a, a collection, the Corinthian church, doing a collection to send down to the, the Jerusalem believers who were in the middle of uh, a famine and a drought. And then we see in 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to go into it a little bit more detail a bit later, but in 2 Corinthians 9, he talks more about our attitude about giving. And he says this, Paul, now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, 
And he who sows generously will also reap generously. Let each one give just as he decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in this, Paul seems to indicate that our giving is to be cheerful, willingly, so not out of a sense of have to, that each person should be deciding in his own heart the amount, and to give generously. And so if we look at those, you know, even those four brief things, we start to get a picture of what giving looks like in the New Testament. It's not just a hard 10%, actually. It looks more like generously, sacrificially, voluntarily, for the relief of the poor, support of the ministry, and spread of the gospel. But these directives are a lot harder to measure, aren't they? It's more of an an internal thing, a heart issue, and that that means the end result will look different for each person. And I know I kind of like the hard lines. I like the 10% because it's cut and clear. I know when I've made it or not. And I can kind of like, if people tell me, I can kind of evaluate if other people have made it or not. But the New Testament doesn't seem to do that, does it? It's a lot more wibbly-wobbly and a lot more to do with our heart as we give. Here, we, we could just keep it to money. We could just, you know, stop the conversation that I'm only talking about money. But I think if we only talk about giving in terms of money, we narrow it down too much. But I think this attitude of giving, of generosity, of giving sacrificially and voluntarily and joyfully actually extends much farther. I think it applies to our resources in general. And resources are a supply of assets, time, money, skills, gifts, that can be drawn on by a person or organization in order to function effectively. So what resources, what time, what money, what skills do you have that you could give voluntarily, generously and sacrificially that could help the body of Christ function more effectively to fulfill together our purpose? to go into the world and preach the good news. So if you're anything like me, the next question may be in your mind is, why does this matter? As Greg is very familiar, I'm sure, in our pastoral meetings, anything we talk about, I'm always like, but why? Why are we doing this? And so why? Why are we doing this? What's the point? Why does it matter to give generously, sacrificially, and voluntarily? Well, how we treat our resources reveal the attitude of our hearts towards God, towards others, and towards ourselves. So there's a few reasons why we give. We give because God is our giver. God as a giver is the foundation of our giving. 
And so when we give of our resources, it's a response to what God has done in the past, acknowledging his faithfulness and his grace in our life. But it's also an act of continued faith and confidence in what he has promised in the future. I had a... um, as I was preparing this week, it was one of those moments that, you know, my compartmentalizing didn't help me. But I was preparing about tithing and talking about how it's about the faithfulness of God and what he's done, he'll do it again, and, and his grace. While at the same time, the other part of my brain was kind of getting all worked up on some um, decisions we're making that have financial ramifications or financial details. And I'm getting this side of my brain is like, yeah, tithing, this is good, giving, important. And the other side of my brain is like starting to worry about my finances. And so finally I can really focus anymore. So I was like, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk, you know, kind of get some energy flowing. And so I'm going for a walk and I'm just going over. I'm like, okay, well, if this happens and this and this, I don't know if this can, you know, that kind of spiraling. And all of a sudden, it was like, Jesus was like, what are you talking on this week? It's like, okay, giving, but okay, God, like, I don't even know how this is all. And he's like, okay. What, what's the point of giving? What, what attitude are you to come with? It's a reminder of what I've done and confidence in what I'll do. And actually, the way you're thinking about this financial stuff, not even in the realm of giving, but the way you're thinking about this financial stuff means maybe you actually don't believe that in your heart. It was that moment of like, oh, yeah, oof. And so it was just like, yeah, you're right, Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. I give you this. And I just kind of started declaring, yes, this is the way you've shown up. This is the way you've promised. And as I, like, declared the promises and released, because there was some control going on there, it was like my, my heart shifted, and I settled. And, yeah, there's still decisions, and there's still a bunch of stuff to figure out. But that, like, angst of, I might need to do it myself because I don't know if God's going to show up. Settled. And I think that happens to a lot of us. We come into things with a scarcity mindset. There there isn't enough time. There isn't enough money. I don't have enough skills. So I need to keep it for myself because there's not enough. I need to look after myself. And it's a struggle to believe in the abundance and generosity of our God. Or else sometimes what can happen, this scarcity mindset can kind of sneak into our identity. Where it's like we put our trust in money. Or we put our trust in our skills and talents. To be the thing that keeps us safe. To be the thing that makes us acceptable. To be the thing that gives us an identity. Because we forget that God is a generous and abundant God. And so when we give of our resources freely and generously, it's actually an act of warfare against self, against scarcity, against self-sufficiency. Because as we give freely and generously, we are acknowledging 
that what we have from God is from God and that we are depending on him for our future. Another reason why we give is to become more like Jesus, which is the journey we're on. And we get to partner with him in sharing his love and generosity to each other and the world. Our God is a generous God. Jesus gave of himself in life, death, and resurrection. In James 1.5, it talks about how our God, who is so, so generous. And here's the crazy thing. As we allow Jesus to be a part of our lives and indwell in us, the way we start living starts shifting to align more with who he is. And so it, it starts, we're on this journey, as it starts to be less about what we can get and more about how we can serve and love others as we become more and more like Jesus. The next reason we give, why it matters, is we give because, uh, because we reap, we, we get as we're giving. And this one is, is maybe a place that um, the enemy has maybe done some damage in our, our theology and our perspective. So this isn't, this isn't a um, prosperity gospel where it's like, man, you give and God's going to give you that like 30-foot boat that you've always wanted. It's not like, hey, you give now and God's going to bless you financially and I can buy a plane. But I can't get away from the fact that in the Old Testament and in 2 Corinthians 9, which we're going to look at, Blessings are tied to giving. We can't get away from that. And I had read that in, in 2 Corinthians 9, where it says, um, Now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously will also reap generously. Reap generously what? Is it just money? If we give money, we get a lot of money back? No. I mean, if, I think if we, if we end up falling into that mindset, then what that shows is maybe the um, disordered value we have of money, as if that could be the best possible blessing that God has given us, is money. But as we go on in, in 2 Corinthians 9, we see actually what we get to share what the blessings we get to share. So in verse 8, it says, we get to share in his abundant grace. It says, and God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come into abundance to you, so that you may always have complete sufficiency in everything and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. So as we sow, we reap, in his grace. As we sow, we get to uh, share in his righteousness. Verse 9 tells us this. As it is written and forever remains written, he, the benevolent and generous person, scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So we get to share in his grace, his righteousness, and we also get to share in his multiplication. 
Now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide, the, will provide and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. But why? What's the point? Why do we, why is it this reaping and sowing kind of in this, in this cycle? What, what's the point? Is it so we can sit and be cozy and comfortable and think, oh, God has blessed me with so much, so now I'm safe? No. Verse 11 tells us exactly why it's this sowing and reaping principle. You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So, we give because as we give, we get. And as we get, it's so that we can give. It's this like in and out principle that we're invited to share in. And then I think another really cool part is found in um, verse 13 and 14, where it seems as we give to other members in the church, other members of the body of Christ in support, it seems to um, create unity. It seems to draw us together. And it says, because of this act, they will glorify God for your obedience to the gospel. And they will also long for you while they are praying on your behalf because of the surpassing measure of God's grace. And so as we give to one another generously, sacrificially, freely, it seems to result in love and prayer for one another, that we're drawn together in the glorification, in the glory, giving glory to God. And so the why, the why behind giving and generosity of because we're acknowledging God as giver, because we want to be more like Jesus, because it brings unity, because we reap while we're sowing, is so much more in-depth and beautiful and life-giving than the Bible says you have to give 10%. One is a rule. The other, the way of Jesus, is a way of life in response to God. And so in conclusion, I think we're called to give freely, sacrificially, generously of our resources and as an expression of our continued trust in God's grace. And as we give, we get to share in so many of God's wonderful blessings to then give more. And so, for forgiving of, of money, if it's a starting place, 10% is a decent place to start. Not required. We're not going to come after you for your taxes to see if you, you know, gave enough. But that's a good place to start if you've not um, ever gave. Another wonderful place, actually the place to start, ignore what I just said there, the place to start is ask Jesus what he would have you give. And ask yourself, 
Do you struggle with being generous and giving freely of your time, skills, or money? Why? Ask Jesus to show you why. And ask him to teach you new ways of living generously, freely, voluntarily, sacrificially. Because when we do that, we get to partner with him. We allow him to shape not only our uh, internal life, but our external life as well. And so, um, as you go, I bless you to experience the radical generosity and love from God. And then I bless you in that outpouring of generosity. Jesus, would you open our eyes to see where we have been clutching too tightly to our time, skills, or money as a way to keep us safe? But would you reveal to us where that's been happening and why? May we loosen our hands and turn to you as our vision, as the one who sustains us. I bless you in Jesus' name to have the life of Jesus flowing through you, making you more and more like him every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, and in peace return. We will have some people up here if you would like to uh, be prayed for, and online if that is something you would like prayer. There's a number that should come up, and you can just text, please give me a call, I'd like prayer, and someone will contact you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.